Hey everyone, welcome back again, another episode. I might even put two of these out in the same week. Oh my gosh, I know I really have to commit to a certain day every single week where I at least record two episodes so I can keep the content coming to you guys. I swear it's not on purpose. Thanks for sticking with me. Um, Instagram like reduced my visibility by a crazy amount over the last two months, so people are just starting to see me again. So if that was you, just know I didn't go anywhere, but basically they reduced my visibility by between 70 and 80%. That was statistically the numbers in my insights. Now I appear to be back for the most part, but we will see how long that lasts. Just had two separate three-day bans with Facebook for showing a picture of a hand-woven cloth fabric, a baby wrap. Somehow that was harassment and bullying. I had three days the first time and when somebody asked me what was wrong, I shared a picture of the wrap and got another three-day ban. So basically I've been off of Facebook all of because I love baby wearing. There you go. So this study was something I came across, somebody shared it, and I thought it was really interesting because the entire study is very pro-mask and masks are really going to make a difference. But if you look in the details of the language and you go into um, the actual study, there's a lot there that makes you wonder why they can even come to this stance. So we're going to talk about it. The name of the study is The Efficacy of Face Masks, Neck Gaiters, and Face Shields for Reducing the Expulsion of Simulated Cough-Generated Aerosols. That's a sexy title, huh? And this is in Aerosol Science and Technology, 2021, Volume 55, Number 4, pages 449 through 457. Did you like my operator voice? <laughs> um, and can I just... I'm going to segue into something totally random for a second. So you guys know, or maybe you don't know, I've been working in the mortgage industry the last few months. And um, when you answer the phone as a female and you're a licensed loan officer, you answer the phone, you would be surprised how many people assume you must just be the secretary and they need to transfer them to somebody who can actually look up the information, who can actually price this out. I don't believe the male loan officers are getting that same type of response. So it's kind of interesting how, quote, far we've come. It's 2021, and yet people assume I must still be the secretary. And, oh, can I pass the information on to somebody who's important, like the man who's actually doing the work? Okay, so this study is all about whether or not masks can affect aerosols. So you've seen me post about the difference between respiratory droplets and aerosolized particles. Um, the reason this is important is because it's all about the size of the particle. So yes, we know that masks can block certain things that are extremely large, but the reality is that's actually not what is truly responsible for the main transmission of things like SARS-CoV-2. We know that all viruses have a certain size of the micron under 0 0.12, 0.10. So keep those numbers in mind as I read this to you. Okay, so one thing I want to say is, again, I'm a big believer in paying attention to language. I just talked about that in my last episode. Thinking about language, okay, listen to what this says. This is the introduction of the study where they're giving you an overview of why face masks are important. And it says a face covering can provide source control in two ways. First, and most importantly, the covering 
may collect aerosol particles. Second, the face covering may change the direction of travel. So it can provide, it may collect, and it may change. There's nothing definitive there at all, and this is a scientific publication. Remember, we have 40 40 years of data, 50 years of data that show us that masks don't help with things like the flu. We know that with the 1918 Spanish flu, uh, masks weren't really helping. We did not have mandates longer than a month or two months at a time. And uh, a bunch of people got bacterial pneumonia from wearing masks and the moisture that they created. So we've got all this data that shows us masks have never worked for flu viruses or viruses that small. And yet magically it appeared right at the time they wanted to force everybody to wear masks. So even after all these months, they're saying it can do this. It may do this. It may do this. This is the way they get around liability, right? Because they're not saying it does do it. They're not saying it for sure does. They're saying it's possible. But of course, the other side of that coin is it's also possible that it doesn't. So one of the things they mention is if in a cough, the aerosols are deflected by the mask and go out the sides. Now that's something we've seen, right? Because we've seen the people exhaling smoke or different things where smoke comes out of the side of the mask instead of from the center. So what they admit here is they say, if the respiratory aerosols are deflected sideways, they may be diverted away from a person directly in front of the wearer, but towards someone to the side or behind them. So it doesn't mean it's actually stopping the aerosols. It's just changing the direction. Then he says that studies of cloth face masks have suggested, again, suggest, that they can also be effective at reducing respiratory aerosols into the environment. Now, it says, unfortunately, the use of face masks and other face coverings by the general public can present challenges. Why? Because mask wearers may repeatedly don, doff, and adjust face masks, which can contaminate the hands and potentially lead to disease transmission, especially when the masks are reused. Does anybody know somebody who has reused a mask? Is every single mask thrown away after every use? Is every cloth mask washed after every single use? I doubt it. Do people keep their hands off of their faces when they're wearing masks? Nope. Not even close. So when they do these studies, by the way, again, this is a simulation. All of these studies based on simulations don't even recreate circumstances that mimic real world usage because one, it's a brand new clean face mask that's never been touched and it's not even a human. Okay, so the typical things that we're going to be doing while wearing a mask isn't going to look anything like the study. And even in the study, the results are very average. You'll see as we come up to this. So the next problem that they found, which is obvious to the rest of us, for cloth masks, the filtration efficiency and airflow resistance of the different textiles varies widely. Okay, what does this mean? 
different fabrics, different materials. Everything's made differently. All those ones with like the glitter and like polyester, whatever metallic designs, those things are not meant to be actually effective. And you know people are not washing those like 100%. Then something like this, another thing the rest of us know, factors such as how well the mask fits the face and the coverage provided by a mask can have a substantial impact on the effectiveness of face masks. Oh, you don't say. So you mean the way somebody uses it, whether or not they touch their face, whether they reuse it, the type of cloth. So you're, su- you're suggesting that all those factors can make a difference in whether they work. And yet in your simulation, you've got everything in the best position possible and it still comes out with poor results. Then what do you think is happening in the real world? Is there a reason that these numbers continue to rise even after mask mandates were put into place? Is it somehow connected? I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching here. And then they found that comparisons of face coverings have found substantial differences in the ability of different types of devices to reduce respiratory aerosols. And isn't that the entire point of it, to reduce these respiratory aerosols? So if they're finding substantial differences, how are they making conclusions that face masks work and they're necessary and we're going to mandate them and we're going to take away your rights if you don't comply. How did we get that far with this kind of weak, shaky data to even try to say that there's anything there substantial enough to warrant them? Again, they're using a cough aerosol simulator that provides a, quote, cough with a controlled airflow. Okay, like just that by itself, you realize... This is not going to show us what real life looks like. And so on average, what they found was surgical masks blocked the aerosols from being released by 59%. A surgical mask, a cloth mask, 51%. So essentially half of the time it's going to block. What does that mean? The other half of the time, it's not. Those numbers are not very strong to be mandating every single person in the country, including children, to use them at all times. And again, those numbers are with the perfect scenario. Single use, never touch your face. It's not even a human wearing the thing and only with a single consistent airflow cough. Not discussing whether or not it goes in multiple directions, sides or backwards, and if there are other people around. There are no other people around in this because this is a simulation. Even in the simulation, the best they could do is 50%. And they're still forcing everybody to wear these and limiting your ability to participate in society if you don't. They know that small aerosol particles can remain airborne for minutes to hours and can accumulate over time. Small aerosol particles are also easier to inhale and they can travel more deeply into the lungs. This is why the discussion about the size of the viral particle is so important. It's not just these big respiratory droplets that are responsible for contamination and infection and contagion. In fact, it's more of these smaller aerosol particles, like they said, that can travel more easily and more deeply into the lungs. And then they admit 
the amount and size of particles containing SARS-CoV-2 are not yet known. We are a year into this. They don't know the true size of the particles. They don't know how they travel and which direction that they do. They don't know whether masks are actually making a difference. Best case scenario, it's stopping 50% of particles from being expelled. We don't know, though, about all of the other ones and the smaller ones that make up that other 50% and what that does for potential transmission. We don't know. But yet... We have city ordinances all across our country that will force you to wear one even though we don't know. When has that ever happened before? That on such, again, such limited and shaky data, they were able to make these types of mandates. They, they um, admit the small aerosols play a role in SARS-CoV-2 transmission and that source control devices like face coverings and face shields only help stop respiratory particles larger than 0.3 microns in size. In fact, what they found was the cloth face mask was only 28% effective getting anything under 0.6 microns. Again, a viral particle for COVID or the flu, 0.1. It's only 28% effective at stopping anything under 0.6. Respiratory droplets are going to be 0.3, 0.4, 0 0.5. So it might catch some of that, but only 28% worth. And it's certainly not getting anything under 0.1. But they said that it does a much better job for the much bigger particles, 76%. Well, amazing. But that they're just telling you that's not how it's being transmitted. And they're telling you the aerosol particles are not only more to blame for transmission, but they're easier to transmit and they get deeper into the lung tissue. This was my favorite part. It says, our study has several limitations. Now, there are always limitations in studies, but the list of limitations here is quite long. It says, one, we used a single cough volume. Obviously, every person coughs differently, so that's not even accurate. Also... They used a simulator for coughing, but did not look at breathing or speaking or anything else. The shape and the composition of face coverings varied widely, so they know that's going to affect the performance. Some face masks have valves or vents on them that re reduce their efficacy, and they didn't use those. Uh, the fit of the mask is very important, so obviously that doesn't show up in a study where you're using a simulation. And that also affects whether or not these are good source control devices. Uh, so they're actually using something that is not similar to real life human experience. And yet they're trying to say it transfers over into real life human experience with complete certainty. And therefore, we should all have this, you know, become a mandatory measure. But again, the, the entire overview here is going to say masks are helpful, at controlling the virus and you go into the details and you say wait a second they're admitting that these cloth face mask coverings and other face coverings don't stop aerosols smaller than 0.3 we know that viral particles are 0.1 around in size we know that the small aerosol particles are what's responsible for transmission primarily in the end so how is the, the, the conclusion of this like, yes, these things work? No, all you're proving is that if something comes out of your mouth and you have a cloth over it, it's going to catch some of it. 
It's not even catching all of it. It's going to catch some of it. We didn't need scientific data to tell us that. Obviously, that's true. The question is, does it stop the small aerosols from coming out? Because those are the ones that would, you know, create contagion amongst other people. We're assuming every single human being is just contagious, walking around infected and contagious. The reality is that number is so small at any given point. To have 100% of people wearing masks for the small percent of somebody who could be infected and contagious and coughing within six feet of another person makes no real sense to me because we're extrapolating one very unique niche circumstance and we're basically saying this applies to everybody at all times. Like you're just standing there and you're going to infect somebody unless you have a mask on. Well, guess what? The data shows us that 28% of the time, it's catching things larger than 0.3 to 0.6, nothing under 0.3, and 72% of the time, it's not catching it at all. So how did we come to the conclusion that they work? And not only that they work, but that they are necessary for everybody. I mean, have you guys seen the number of children walking around with face masks on? I saw somebody yesterday pushing a stroller outside, a couple, the two adults wearing a mask, the child in the stroller wearing a mask outside. Imagine how young a child needs to be to be in a stroller. Why are you wearing masks outside? There were no other people around them. We've adopted a behavioral pattern here that has become second nature for people as if they don't know how to exist without it. They don't know how to be out and about with people anymore without masks, even if it makes no logical sense for them to be wearing one. Even if you break down the data and you say, well, how much is that mask actually helping you? And one, are you even infected? Two, if you're sick, you should stay home. You would expect everybody else to be doing that too. And how often are people just like coughing in your face? Like I never see people coughing, especially not all close to you. I mean, it's just so weird that we've taken something that is like 18 things have to be right in order for there to be a potential transmission. All 18 circumstances need to be all lining up perfectly for somebody to potentially transmit a virus. So obviously the odds are very low, you know, that that's the case. And then we're basically assuming every single person is in that situation or circumstance at all times. Like, have people stopped to really think about that? How come nobody worried about how often you were sick before? It's just, the whole thing is so odd. And, and I thought about it this week and I, I thought about, you know, all the people I see that are really health conscious, all the people that, you know, they exercise regularly, they eat really well, eat very clean diets, um, they have an understanding of how the body works, they, they tend to handle their, you know, um, ailments or illness naturally when they can. It's all those people that are not hopping on board with the need to wear a mask, need to get the vaccine train. Why would the people that are the healthiest be averse to that? Why would the people who are the healthiest 
not want to improve health if masks and vaccines did that? How come it's all of the sickly people, the hypochondriacs, the people who use pills, who drink, who are on some type of prescription drug? How come it's always those people who are first in line to get the vaccine, to wear masks, or to advocate for that for other people? I mean, I have yet to see somebody that I know anyway that's very health conscious be very afraid of this. And I don't mean somebody who goes to the gym. I'm talking about somebody who really has an understanding of health, who's researched about health. How would we ever think that health can come from the outside in? Does wearing a mask make you healthier? Let's say it did work 100% of the time. Does it make you healthier? All it means is the second you take it off in another circumstance or if somebody touched their mask and touched you or whatever, you're done for. Because if you're not focusing on health from the inside, it doesn't matter what the mask does. You cannot always avoid every situation at any given time. Anybody with children knows this. You can do everything you can and your kids are still going to get sick from school no matter what, right? There's just certain times it's inevitable. But the goal should be to reduce the number of times. And if you are sick, to reduce the extent at which you are sick and the duration that you're sick. But in order to do that, your body has to be in a good position, have a good foundation, good environment. The mask is not going to give that to you. The vaccine is certainly not going to give that to you. It's an immune suppressant. So why are we supporting medical interventions Claiming to protect people, but ultimately avoiding the most important part of what health actually means, which is being able to protect yourself. Being able to rely on your own body to step in and do what it's designed to do. Because another thing I was thinking about is... Statistically speaking, how many people are born genetically with a type of body or system or immune suppressed condition that makes them susceptible to dying from things like COVID if they're exposed? How many people are born with a condition like that that cannot be improved by diet and lifestyle? In other words, all of the people in the susceptible categories for death or serious cases with COVID, all of those people, let's say we put all those people into one big room, what percentage of that room would be people who diet and lifestyle changes would make absolutely no difference? They would just be just as susceptible with all the best food, best, you know, low stress environment, good sleep, all of the things that support the body. And they would still die from COVID from being exposed. I would guess that number is teeny tiny. In fact, I just heard Fauci in some interview um, this week who was who said, you know, you know, if, if you have an underlying condition, right, again, we're talking underlying conditions. So Are we talking about somebody who just went through cancer treatment or who has this rare genetic disease or no, where he said we're talking about obesity, 
diabetes, and hypertension. All three of those categories, especially two of them, can be completely controlled and removed with diet and lifestyle. I don't mean being on a diet. I mean the quality of food that you put into your body. And diabetes, we know, can 100% be managed and symptoms reduced with diet and lifestyle. So if those are the people with the underlying conditions that everybody has put their life on hold for, schools shut down, businesses lost, mask mandates, mandatory vaccines to participate in society, all the things we've done here to save the few who may be hurt, how many of the few would have been improved on their own with diet and lifestyle that would no longer have made them susceptible? Truthfully, how many people have a rare genetic disorder that makes them totally at risk? And if they're at risk of this, they're at risk of everything else. And I'm telling you, that percentage is so small. So why wasn't our focus how to make the underlying conditions go away instead of trying to make everybody else change their entire lives? Because we didn't actually make anybody healthier. How do I know that? I'm looking at the crap the guys in my office eat every single day. Fast food for breakfast. Fast food for lunch. Sodas throughout the day. Pop-Tarts, energy drinks, caffeine, and, who, and alcohol. You're looking at the things that people are putting into their body. Are people somehow more health conscious post a huge pandemic that shut the entire world down? No. Why? Because nobody stopped to actually teach people about what is important and necessary for health and how to improve it. People are doing just as poorly with their choices, some even worse. And now they just have less activity, more isolation, more depression, more anxiety, more pills, more alcohol. How is it that a mask or a vaccine is going to save that situation? It's never going to do anything because the foundation of our society is off when it comes to health. A mask won't stop it. The vaccine won't stop it. You are not making yourself actually healthier, which is the only thing that truly protects you. And if you're protected, you're not getting sick. So you're not transmitting it to other people. So the one in a million person with a genetic condition doesn't accidentally get it from you because you won't be sick as often. We really are so backwards in the way that we're viewing this. Think about the billions of dollars that have been spent over this last year on the COVID disaster. The whole thing is, oh my gosh, this is so sad. Can you believe this happened to us? And we did everything we can, everything we could to protect people. We saved countless lives. We have to stay at home. You have to lose your business. You have to lose your education. You have to put people into risky circumstances because they can't leave their homes in bad situations. All of the things that we've done and we're no better off a year later regarding health. 
It is really upsetting when you think about it. And yet people like me, people like you that are listening, were the problem, right? We're the danger. Because God forbid we have an open discussion on this. God forbid we talk about what really matters with health and that not be a pharmaceutical product. God forbid we take our own health into our own hands and start to be accountable for our own health. That's misinformation, folks. In 2021, that is misinformation. I kept it quick for you. Under 30 minutes, aren't you so proud? I know we're all busy. I know I am too. So I hope you enjoyed this discussion, face masks and other thoughts. And, um, and I'm going to do a few series of interviews, two different topics I want to cover. I'm not going to tell you yet, but uh, I look forward to getting some good information on that. I love interviewing people, getting an idea of what they have to share. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you're hanging in there okay. You have ideas for the show? Give me a, give me a, a send me a message on social media. The website, melissafortruth.com will be available. Hopefully within a couple of weeks, all the content can be there in one place. I'll announce it as soon as that happens. Sorry, I've been out of the loop a little bit, but again, thanks for staying with me and I'll catch you next time on what they aren't telling you with Melissa Floyd. Take care.